Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are through our site. This message comes from our Broverb series, where we are learning what God's Word says about being a man in today's world. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. Wow! Hey, welcome to Broverbs! <laughs> All right, so I want to welcome both of our campuses. LaGrange, I want to welcome you right now. Everyone say hello to LaGrange. That's good. LaGrange, say back to us. We're excited that you're with us today, whether you're worshiping at our Noonan campus or our LaGrange campus. I'm so glad you're here. You know, I thought about this today as I came up here and I put these on. I thought, I wonder if we could do have like raise money called Punch the Pastor. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like if for 50 bucks, I would let you come up here and take your best shot at me and then I get one shot back, okay? Because I had better teachers. They said, listen, when you can't match the punch, sweep the leg, right? And so uh, I'm just excited we're in this series. When I was growing up, uh, there was this guy named Muhammad Ali. Y'all remember Muhammad Ali? Like we honored his life yesterday as they laid him to rest. But when I was growing up, I was young. I was about five, six years of age and my dad and my brothers and they would turn on the television and we would watch these fights and they would always talk about how fast and how graceful and how good of a boxer Muhammad Ali was. And I remember thinking, man, if I could be an athlete like Muhammad Ali, maybe, maybe in my life, I could become great. And so my, the, the problem with that is I had a brother that was two years older than me and he was twice my size. And uh, he was pretty convinced that I would never be the greatest. And, uh, and he beat me up a lot. And so I remember it's like, man, I, I, just, I just wish I could have one shot, like one shot at being the greatest. And so Cassius Clay was his name when he was born. Uh, he was born to two parents. He was actually born in Scottsdale, Arizona. But Cassius Clay decided when he was a young man, he had something very tragic happen to him. In fact, a lot of people don't know this. The way Muhammad Ali actually got into boxing was when he was a young boy, someone stole his bicycle. And he was so broken over the injustice of how someone would rob somebody else that the police officer that worked the case came to him and said these words. He said, listen, son, you can try to kill these men, but you can be the beggar man. And let me tell you something you can do. You can learn to be a real fighter. And he introduced him to boxing. Most people don't even know that story, but at the age of 22 years of age, the youngest man ever to win a heavyweight title, he beat Sonny Liston, and he became the heavyweight champion of the world. The world knew him as the greatest, and I want to talk about that today. You see, here's what I believe about every person that's in this room, not just the men, not just the boys. I believe that there's a lot of greatness in this room that has never been captured. It's never been unleashed. It's never been set free in the heart and soul of every man, every boy, every husband, every boyfriend, and really every single person. And so today I want to talk to you about becoming the greatest, and I want to help you understand what God tells us 
about how we become great. So we're in this series called Proverbs, and we've been talking about the bro code. Remember, last week we talked about some of the bro codes. Men never drive the Mary Kay pink Escalade, right? Unless something's wrong with you, okay? Like you're dying. Uh, There's lots of bro codes that women don't understand about men. Now, women, I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying that men are very complex creatures, okay? Can I get an amen? Like, (laughs) we're very complex, okay? I just said that, yeah. And and the truth is this, whether you realize this or not, there's some universal bro codes that women need to understand about men. So I want to point one of them out to you today. Um, I want every man to take your left hand and do this. Take your left hand. Come on, LaGrange Noonan, do this. Take your right hand and do this, okay? Right hand, just like this, just like this. And then I want you to hold your shoulders up like this, okay? This is the universal sign for men that says, I don't know. Come on, hold it up, hold it up. Okay, look at the person next to you real quick and say, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, women don't understand this about men, but women ask men a lot of questions that I don't know. In fact, so much so that in the South, we don't even pronunciate it anymore. We don't say, I don't know. We say, I don't know. I don't know. It's actually D-U-N-N-O, like, right, right. I don't know. I don't know. And you say to yourself, you say, well, man, that, that's like really, really awesome. That's incredible. Uh, but but I, I don't know. So what happens is women come to men and they ask these questions and men have to be honest and they have to say, I don't know. I don't know all the time. I used to believe that it was just something that as you got older, you lost your memory. And so you say, I don't know. The only problem is I have these two-year-old twins that live next door to me there in Summer Grove. And they're amazing little kids. They're twins. They run around the backyard the other time and they don't even fully speak yet. And one of them came up to the gate to me the other day and he had seen his dad do this so much that he looked at me across the gate and he says these words. And I thought... It's in the heart of every man. Like, get this, like, like I actually believe Megan Trainer wrote the wrong song. If you listen to Top 40 Radio, you know, she's got this song out called No. And the other day, I was actually quoting the lyrics to Tracy as we're going down the road, and she's asking me a series of questions. My name is, I don't know. My sign is, I don't know. My, my number is, I don't know. And then I looked at her and said, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. Some of you need a Spotify account, okay? (laughs) But men have a bro code. And we get it and we understand it whether we realize it or not. Sometimes we look at that bro code and we go, oh, I don't understand men. But here's the real problem. Men are global. Women are specific. Right? Men are global. I mean, your wife can ask you the question, where's the children? I don't know. They'll make it home (laughs) before dinner. (laughs) Men are global, women are specific. But I want to say this to you. This is very key to what we're going to talk about today. Although every man may admit that they don't know, every man has a desire to be known. Every man. Every man, even though he may say, I don't know all the specific questions that I'm asked all the time by the culture that I'm in. And sometimes I even feel stupid because I don't know. Every man has a desire to be known. And what a man desires to be known for sometimes is even different than what a woman wants to be known for. Let me say it to you this way. Every man wants to compete for greatness. Because in a man's mind, if he can make up a sport and put a score to it and become great at something, 
He will feel great about something. Now, I'll tell you this story. It's crazy, but when I was in elementary school in Oklahoma City, we had a principal. His name was Mr. Brown. And I remember him because back in those days, here's how you remember Mr. Brown. He had a really cool, they called him paddles and they had holes in it. And for some of you who don't know, they used to spank people at school. Y'all remember that? Yeah, before they said, well, we don't spank children anymore, okay? So I remember, like, if you got in trouble, you went into Mr. Brown's office, and he was a pretty big dude, and he had this huge paddle, and it had holes in it, and he, he would hit you on, on the backside, and, and then you would get it worse when you would get home, because your dad would find out you got paddled, and your dad had a bigger belt than he had a paddle, right? And so the truth is this, like, I remember growing up that way, and I know this sounds weird, but Mr. Brown had a set of boxing gloves, and they were big 16-ounce training gloves. And uh, if, a, if you got into a fight at his school as an elementary student, he would bring you out at recess. He would pull out the big 16-ounce gloves because they were so heavy, like a second grader would get like two punches. And he would put all the students together, and you got to fight the person you got in a fight with for five minutes. Now, Channel 2 News here in Atlanta, they would so cover that one, Right? <laughs> Like they'd show up with satellites. I'd see Fox News and CNN showing up. They're like, fight club, elementary school. <laughs> the funny thing about it is I remember getting in the ring one time with a guy. And, and it was a ring. It was a playground. <laughs> and I remember, I remember putting the gloves on and they were so big. You're just like, can I get them around? And, and you get like three punches off. And I swear my third grade teacher bet against me. They had some sort of a ring going on. Like, you could see him in the back going, okay, smiths out, okay. But the truth is this. Every man wants to compete for something great. You know what else I've learned about men? Every man wants to be known as great. Every man wants to be known as great. When I was a senior in high school, I got a letter from a group called the Who's Who of American High School Students. And for 99, some of you are laughing because you paid the money. For $99, they would put your name in a kind of like a yearbook of who's who among high school students. Genius marketing, by the way. Because you want to be known. And you want to have your name somewhere. And you want to be known as somebody who is great. So I began to ask myself this question as preparing. How great do you have to be to be considered great? Is it a level you achieve? Is it a place you get to in your life? Is there like some sort of a quotient or as a number men that we get to like on, on the bro verb rating scale, if you have a bro code of like 85, you're like great. How do we measure greatness? And who defines our greatness? I mean, how do we even know if we're great? Because one of the struggles sometimes I have is, as a man is I feel like what I'm doing is great, but then the world looks at me and says, not so great. How do you know when you've hit it? How do you know when you've reached the mark? If you have your Bible today, we're going to look at three small passages of Scripture. They're in the three Gospels of Mark, John, and Matthew. So go to the book of Mark chapter 1. I want to tell you a story about a guy that a lot of people know, but they don't know a lot about him. You see, Muhammad Ali, according to all earthly standards, was known as the greatest. You know, Elvis was known as the king. Prince, he kind of lost his name, right? The artist formerly known as Prince. But Muhammad Ali, in the sports world, people will forever call him probably the greatest. But this guy here in scripture known as John the Baptist, Jesus and others had a lot to say about him. 
Now, let me tell you a little bit about him. Basically, there had been about 430 years of silence from Malachi until this moment in the Gospels, right before Jesus comes on the scene and dies for the sins of the world. And right before Jesus comes on the scene, this guy named John the Baptist is born, and he basically comes on the scene, and he begins to prepare the way so that when Jesus comes, people will be ready. But think about it, for 430 years, nobody, and then suddenly there's this guy, he's like the breakout, right? He's like the one who breaks through. He's the one that suddenly, he comes on the scene. And I wanna make this statement when I think about this. You know what our world needs? We need more men who are willing to break through. We just do. Like, we don't need more men who are willing to run away or walk away. We need more men who are willing to say, God, if you've called me to this in my life, I'm willing to step into it and I wanna see a breakthrough happen in my life. And if I'm the only one, God, I'm really okay with that because just like John the Baptist, they probably thought he was weird too. We need more breakthrough men. But John the Baptist, in fact, I, I like to call him John the Baptizer. It sounds like he's like, like got superpowers, right? Because here's what John was doing. John was going around the countryside and he was baptizing people. And we think of baptism like we see it here, but the reason he was baptizing had a whole different meaning. You see, back then, if you were Jewish, the only way you got into the temple to worship God was through ceremonial washings. And so here's what John was saying. John the Baptist, John the baptizer was saying, you guys better get ready because the Messiah is about to come and, and you need to begin to clean up. You need to begin to clean your life. And, and, and we don't understand it because most of us only take maybe one shower a day. Like some of us, maybe we don't take sh- one shower a week uh, if you've ever been a seventh grade boy. But the truth is this, you know, because we take one a day, they took them like six and seven, eight times a day. When I went to Israel, There were places that you would go into and they would say, what's that? That's a ceremonial washing tub. And everywhere you went, washing your body, and it was more of a symbol of doing something outwardly. And here's what John was saying. I want you to begin to address the outside of your life because there's this guy named Jesus and he's gonna address the inside of your life. And so the Bible says he went out in the, this place in the desert and, and he basically began to baptize people. And so people were drawn to him. In fact, let's look what it says in the book of Mark chapter one, starting with verse four. It says, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. I mean, they were so moved by his preaching, right? He's this itinerant pastor guy and, and he's out preaching preaching and and people are moved by him. Like he's really good. God's hands all over him. And people are confessing their sins and they were baptized in the Jordan River. And look what it says. And John wore clothing made of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Sexy. I mean, I have this weird part about me when I hear about people in the Bible. Sometimes I tie what I think they were like in the Bible to a classic rock song, which doesn't always work out good for me, but sometimes I just put a picture in my mind like, okay, here's John the Baptist, like wild, crazy, long-haired John the Baptist. He's got this this camel hair loincloth on and and he's he's eating wild, he's eating locusts. He's a bug eater. 
And he's got honey and he's coming on the scene. And as he comes on the scene, I, I can see him maybe coming up to preach a sermon and he's got locusts and he's got honey. And all of a sudden you hear the intro from, from that song off the Led Zeppelin three album called Immigrant Song. Ah, ah, I come from the land of ice and snow. You know, and I'm like, oh, that's John the Baptist. I picture it that way. And some of you know now why I need medication. <laughs> because some of you, all you see when you see John the Baptist is a flannel graph out of VBS. Here comes John the Baptist. He ain't no good than wild honey. And the kids are like, oh, that's awesome, okay? No, he came on the scene. And listen, here's what's crazy. People were coming to him all over the Judean region, and they were looking at this guy. In fact, they showed up in thousands to see him. They believe from experts in, in listening to commentaries that there may have been as many as tens of thousands of people that when he came on the scene talking about, hey, you need to be baptized because the Messiah is coming. You need to, you need to be washed because Jesus is going to come and he's going to change you from the inside out. And, and so I'm, here, I'm just here to kind of prepare the way. And so think about this. He comes on the scene. And by the way, the place that he comes on in this moment was very hard to get to. So people had to go a long way and travel a very dangerous road just to go see him. So here's John the Baptist preaching to thousands. He's a phenom. He's a rock star. And what happens? Word gets back to the Pharisees in Jerusalem that there's this guy out here preaching. And they start realizing, wait, wait a minute, is this the Messiah? And so they send some people out to begin to study what he's doing, and they realize very quickly that maybe this isn't the Messiah, because when they ask him, say, hey, John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? Here's what he says. He says, no, man, I'm not the Messiah. And he quotes the book of Isaiah, and he says this. He says, I'm a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So in other words, I'm not the man, I'm just the sign that points to the man. In other words, Jesus is about to come on the scene. Look what it says in the, the, the verse seven there of Mark one. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Some translation says he will baptize you with fire. Men love fire, right? He says, he's going to come. Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So here's John the Baptist, itinerant preacher. Man, people are following him. People are excited. People are hearing the music in the background. All that stuff's going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus comes to John and he says, John, I want you to baptize me. Which I think is very profound, by the way. Because Jesus understood why John was there. And so Jesus gets baptized, and we know what happened. Some really cool things happened when Jesus got baptized. But then the very next day, we, we know this because of the book of John, it tells us very early in the book that when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking close, he looked at his followers, John's followers, and he said, hey, look, it's Jesus, the Lamb of God. And the Bible says the moment he says that, some of his followers begin to walk away from him and begin to follow Jesus. 
You see, it's probably at that moment that everybody else would have looked at John and said, oh, bro, you are so on the decline. Like Jesus is on the incline, you are on the decline, John. Like you was a was-been, not even a has-been, okay? You're just, yeah. but John, John understood all that. Because when Jesus came on the scene, he knew that my one goal in life was to point people to Jesus. And so people start actually leaving John and they begin to follow Jesus. And and he just says, John's like, man, I'm not the man, but he's the man and you need to follow the man. And and I'm just the sign. Look what he says in John. Go over to John 3 real quick. John chapter 3. An argument developed, verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Remember, it was a big deal. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So, hey, hey, John, the baptizer, Mr. Rockstar guy, people are now following Jesus more than they're following you. You're no longer the greatest. And listen to what he says in verse 27. To this John replied, a man can receive, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I am not the Messiah, but I am ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy. And when he hears the bridegroom's voice, that joy is mine and it's now complete. And then he says these words, he must become greater and I must become less. Every man wants to compete for greatness. Every man wants to be known as great. And so if that's true, what do we know about John's life and what is the bro code? Because that's what we're talking about, right? What is the bro code that we need to have as men that John the baptizer had? If you have a pen, write this down. Greatness comes from knowing who it's from and what it's for. Greatness comes from knowing who it's from and what it's for. The Bible says in verse 27, when they came to John and they said these things, John said this, I realize people are walking away from me. I realize that that I'm just here as the sign, but I'm okay with that because I know why I'm here. I know who it's from and I know what it's for. And he says this in verse 27. He said, to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. What a profound statement. So I want want to take that statement and I want to take it back up to 2016 real quick. Here's how our culture says it. Remember we said last week, if you are going to make your mark in this world, you better hustle. You got to hustle for it. You got to earn it. Here's what John said. Whatever happens to me, It's really okay because the only thing I really can receive in this life is what heaven gives me, not what man gives me. That's profound. You see, heaven declares all things and it decides all things. 
I even know guys in ministry, they're like, man, I've got to make my mark. I got to start a blog. I got to start a website. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to be on this committee. I got to be this. I got to serve at this church. Listen, if heaven hasn't decided it for you, you don't want it. And sometimes in our lives, not just men, but women also, we get into this frame that we want things that heaven doesn't have for us. I just think it shows how great John the Baptist was because he looks and he says, I don't care if they're following Jesus. Jesus can only receive what's given to him from heaven. And a man and a person can receive only what God wants for their life. I I, want to put something to rest in the hearts of men today, okay? Men, we're we're trying to achieve a lot of things in our life, but I want to say a very profound statement to you. Don't chase after things that this world tells you will make your life full. Chase after what heaven gives you and let God fill you with that. Because greatness comes from knowing who it's from and what it's for. That's what John knew. He knew who gave him the power to be the rock star, the the locust-eating, honey-eating person he was, and the thousands that were... He knew who it was from, and he knew what it was for. That's greatness. And I want to tell you something. God knows who you are. He knows how to get a hold of you. He knows where you are, and he knows every single hair on your head. You want what heaven has for you. The problem is we struggle with the what if God doesn't syndrome. What if God doesn't give me a promotion? What if God leaves me in this job the rest of my life? What if God never gives me a raise and I make the same money I'm making now for the rest of my life? Some of us, we live in fear of that. What if I never drive anything more than a five-year-old car? John said, you need to receive what God has for you. You got to rest in God's will, not man's will for your life. I went through this in a season of my life where God had to really tear me down and I've really felt like God had pulled me out of, the, out of the ground and literally set me on a shelf and I'm like, God, why can't I step into this moment? And God's going, Sean, because heaven doesn't want that moment for you. If you step into that moment, you will forever stay in that moment and you will never let me take you to the place that I want to take you. Greatness comes from knowing who it's from and what it's for. You know what else greatness is? Greatness comes from knowing who you are known for, excuse me, who you're known by. Greatness comes from knowing you are known to make him known. How known is great? How known is great? Like I am known by people. Some of us, we we judge our greatness by a lot of different things. How many people know us? Greatness comes from knowing you are known to make him known. God has given you a sphere of influence so that you can make him known to other people. Look what John said. He says it in verse 30. We know this verse. He said, he must become greater. I must become less. So imagine what would happen if you showed up at the ball field this week. And instead of going to the coach and chewing him out because your son's not starting in the rotation... You looked at him and said, hey, coach, I'm going to ask that you start my son on the bench for three innings. Some of you go, Sean, you're crazy. He won't get a D1 scholarship because my son's 5'2". 
and he's going to play MLB. You say, why would you do that? Because I, I just want to say this. Sometimes we strive to put ourselves before where God wants us to put. Greatness came from being known in order to make Jesus known. And in this moment, I think sometimes we need to, to, we need to understand what John was saying. He says, Jesus must become greater. I must become a John, John knew. He's like, the only way that I have the right position is to assume the right posture in my life. But that's tough as men because somehow we, we create this scorecard. I was at the pool the other day. There were a group of men. It was time for the children to get out. They stayed in the pool and they started a game. I don't know what the game was, but they were keeping score. It's how men are, it's how we're made. We want to compete for greatness. So I want to give you this thought today. How much more could we become if our focus was about making more of Jesus and less of us? How much more could we become if our focus was about making more of Jesus and less of us? I mean, can you imagine Muhammad Ali when he met God? By the way, he did. The greatest on earth met the greatest above all the earth. And when he stepped into eternity and he realized that, he probably went, man, those people on earth, they don't get it. It's at that moment that he probably realized heaven has a different scorecard than earth does. How much more could we become if our focus was about making more of Jesus and less of us? Turn your Bible over to Matthew chapter 11, and I want to close with this thought today. And this is where I want us to end our time in this talk. This is very, very important. Who you are known by will always be greater than what you are known for. Who you are known by will always be greater than what you are known for. You see, the reason this is true is because even in social media, if the right person likes our post or retweets our stuff or follows us, we get excited. Like you can have 30 dummy accounts follow you and you're like, oh, I don't know. There's some offshore drilling, something, whatever. <laughs> but I promise you, if you opened your phone today and you looked on Facebook and then suddenly, suddenly just out of nowhere, like your favorite musician or your favorite sports star befriended you, you guys wouldn't keep that quiet. I know you. Hey, look who's following me. Why? Because we want to be known by somebody. We want to be liked by the right somebody. That's why I said last week, a lot of times we get this all mixed up because we're looking for man's approval and we need God's. And this statement really rocks some of us. The first step to becoming God's man is you've got to quit being somebody's boy. God wants you to be his man. He looks at us and he says, who you are known by will always be greater than what you are known for. And here's what's crazy about that. The one who knows you best loves you the most. God knows you best, and yet he loves you the most. Some of you, if your friends found out what you were like when you're not in front of them, you'd be so afraid. They would never love me. Okay, I've got corns on my toes. They would reject me. 
But God, he looks at you and says, no, 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 I know you the most. You are known by me the most, and yet I love you the most. Who you are known by will always be greater than what you are known for. John, the baptizer, he was known by Jesus. You see, we knew that he knew who Jesus was, but what did Jesus say about him? Look at Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 2. When John, who was in prison, John had been put in prison, right? Herod wanted to kill him. Heard about all the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? And I love what Jesus says. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Look at verse 5. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed claim to the poor. Why did he say that? Because when Jesus showed up in the synagogue in Luke 4, 18 and 19, he said, this prophecy that was said about the Messiah is here. And he even looked at those who were listening and he said, it's fulfilled in your presence today. So he looks back at John the baptizer and he says, hey, you go tell John everything I told the world and everything Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah is coming true. And look at verse seven. As John's disciples were leaving. So they're walking away, right? They're going to go tell John the Baptist, hey, this is what Jesus said. Jesus begins to speak to the crowd about John. And wouldn't it be cool for Jesus to write a paragraph about you? The truth is he did, and I'm about to show it to you. He said, He began to talk to the crowd about John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? I mean, John the Baptist had on locusts and whatever, you know? Probably had honey all over his beard. He said, what did you go see? He said, no, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you and more than a prophet. And then he says these words. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. And then look at verse 11. This is crazy. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus proclaimed how great John was. You see, Who you are known by will always be important than what you are known for. Jesus knew John, and here's what he said about him. Of all of the people born of women. See, Jesus was born of the Spirit. He was immaculately concepted in the womb of Mary. John was born of a woman, natural birth, natural all the way, like the whole thing. Like God didn't make it happen, man made it happen. But God made it happen. But man, yeah, whatever. The truth is this. He said, of all the people born among women, John the Baptist is the greatest. Wouldn't you want God to tell the world that you're the greatest? Like, I think that would be cool. Like, I would love it if some of you would say, Sean's the greatest. But I would really love it if God would look at me and say, that dude's the greatest. But then Jesus says something that blows my mind. And this is the key to your greatness. Look what he says. He says, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
tens of thousands of people coming to hear John the Baptist. Baptizes thousands. People forever remember him as the one who prepared the way, who held the sign up that said, Messiah this way, Messiah this way. He said, he is the greatest earth person ever born. And then Jesus says, however, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. What is he saying? What's that mean? Here's what he was saying. If you are known by Jesus, see, John never got to experience what you and I get to experience. John experienced Jesus before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. You and I have an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus post-resurrection. And the truth is this, Jesus said, if you're the least in the kingdom, you're greater than everything John the Baptist ever did. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why? Because Jesus knew what it meant to be in the kingdom. See, I want to say this to every man here. Here's why there's so much greatness in this room. You are alive at the time and place in your life when God has placed you sovereignly in this moment and he's looking at you and he wants you to be in his kingdom and he sees the capacity and he sees the opportunity and he just says, man, if I could, if if he would give me his heart, and he would let me bring him into my kingdom, he could be greater than John the Baptist. So I want to make a statement to you today. Every man in this room, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, God's given you the opportunity to become the greatest. Would you bow your heads with me today? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.